Welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Griego-Kyle from Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. In this podcast, we talk about sustainable investing and how your portfolio reflects your values. Do your investments seek accountability from corporations that govern more and more of our society and even the lives we lead? Listen in as we explore the question, are you investing like you give a damn? Hello and welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Griego, Kyle, and Johan Clausen from Horizons Sustainable Financial Services. Today I am very excited. We have a guest in studio, and that is Hunter Lovins. And Hunter has been involved in the field of sustainability for well over 40 years with degrees in sociology and political science and a JD from Loyola Law School. She co-founded the Rocky Mountain Institute. She has written many books, including Natural Capitalism, and her most recent, A Finer Future. Her current project includes Chief of Impact at Change Finance, an investment firm protecting assets against 21st century risks, and so much more. But we could take up the entire podcast, a couple podcasts, I'm sure, going over Hunter's fascinating background. But I'm going to let Kim and Johan do the introduction. Good morning, everybody. How are you? I'm great. Good morning. All right, Kim, where are we starting today? Can you introduce our guest for us? Yes, yes. First of all, I want to thank you, Hunter, for being here with us. You have such a busy schedule, and I just appreciate you taking some time out to be with us today. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So um, while we get started on this, um, as, as Eric said, we could take up a couple of podcasts talking about all of the things that you've done over the past 40 plus years. But that would be dull. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think it would be dull. I think it'd be really fascinating. But, you know, uh, Johan and I know you pretty well. We've seen you speak a number of times and we know a lot about your broad background. But can you kind of give us the two to three minute synopsis of who you are and just a little bit about your amazing history? I'm a Colorado cowgirl who somehow got stuck riding airplanes more than I ride horses. I was in um, Milan, Italy two days ago. I'll be in Boston and New York next week, Shanghai. uh, No, let's see, Singapore. No, Istanbul the week after that, then Singapore the week after that. And what kinds of things are you doing as you're traveling around the world right now? Milan was keynoting a conference on sustainable agriculture. Uh, Boston will be advising a family office. New York will be teaching at the Bard MBA. Uh, Let's see, Istanbul will be speaking at the United Nations Conference on Sustainable Development. Singapore will be keynoting a World Bank Conference on climate change. I'll be talking about profitable solutions to the climate crisis. Wow. I got to say, I'm just a tiny bit jealous of all of those wonderful places you get to visit. <laughs> so, how, uh, how did you get from law school into this uh, jet-setting <laughs> uh, work? I took a law degree because I thought it would be the best way to drive change, to help deal with the, the issues around inequality, social injustice, the looming environmental crisis, this all back in the, uh, in the 60s. And as much as I loved law school, the law turned out not to be a good route to drive change. Thank God for all the great environmental lawyers who are still in there slogging. 
But I quit and became a forester, got into environmental education, tracked from there into energy policy. Uh, From there, went back to work with David Brower at Friends of the Earth, uh, helped create Rocky Mountain Institute, ran that for 20 years till they fired me, then created natural capitalism, and here we are. That's That just wow. sounds like an amazing uh, turn of events for you, and um, you've done some really fascinating work. And, and what you're doing now um, is also very interesting to to Johan and I with, with our sustainable investing. Tell us a little bit about the current project, Change Finance. Change Finance is a very cool endeavor. This is a company that a few of us created to, well, change finance. The amount of money that is invested around the world could drive the change that we've we've all been seeking or impede it. And it seemed to us that it was, uh, it was high time to create a company that had an investment philosophy that people putting their money in the right place can do an enormous amount of good Conversely, money put in the wrong place is what's driving the harm facing us. And a tremendous amount of money is now at risk. I work with a brilliant man named Tony Seba, Stanford professor, Silicon Valley entrepreneur. Tony says, inevitably, for fundamental economic reasons, the world will be 100% renewably powered by 2030. The reasons are fall in the cost of renewable energy, particularly solar, fall in the cost of storage batteries, the electric car and the driverless car, and then the business model of transit as a service. So with cheap solar power storage, which makes renewable energy fixed firm 24-hour power, Electric cars autonomously driven to get from here to there, which is what we want, it would be tenfold cheaper to whistle up one of these AEVs than to pay to own, fuel, maintain, insure a private vehicle. At a tenfold drop in price, that's where the market will go. As a result, there, we're looking at the dissolution in value, probably pretty complete dissolution, if Tony is right, of oil, gas, coal, uranium, nuclear, utility industries, auto industry, the banks that hold paper in all of these industries, the insurance companies and pension funds that are invested in them. This is fixing to be the mother of all economic disruptions coming at us within about 10 years' time. And we have no earthly idea how to cope with this. Now, after the last presidential election, I went and had a chat with Tony. I've known him for 10 years or so. And said, well, that's off. He said, oh, no. Uh, Now I'm really convinced. So I started watching. Things like here in Colorado, our coal-loving utility, Excel Energy, put out a all source bid, who could get us 1,100 megawatts of power, any source, any price, y'all bid. They were assuming that natural gas would win and then coal would be next. <laughs> Wind was a little below two cents a kilowatt hour. 
solar a little above two cents a kilowatt hour, wind plus solar plus storage, three cents a kilowatt hour. The cheapest fossil bid was four cents a kilowatt hour. Wow. Wow. Excel said, no, bid it again. Uh, We've got all these solar tariffs. Numbers came back essentially the same. Yeah, there were solar tariffs and the price had continued to drop. So Excel said, uh, can we uh, cut two coal plants and pledge to go two-thirds renewable? The Public Utility Commission said, sure. Since then, they have pledged to go 100% renewable. Wow. The electric car, China has said they're going to phase out the internal combustion engine. That's a quarter of the world's car market. The autonomous vehicle, there are 48 companies working on these things. And when I was in China a month ago, they announced they were opening a freeway for autonomous vehicles. These things are on the road today. When I was in Vegas last uh, November, whistled up a lift and up came a dialogue box. Would I accept an autonomous vehicle? And I hit, yes, yes. I'd love to ride in one of those. Yes. And in the end, I got a driver vehicle. But it's an indication of how fast these things are coming. Car sales are down the world around. People are waiting for these, first of all, electric vehicles. I drive a Leaf. It's simply a better car. And I love driving past gas stations. (laughs) Now, the relevance for investing is if any of this stuff is right and your portfolio holds fossil companies you are at risk. Absolutely. Carbon Tracker came out with a number back, I don't know, 2010 or so, that if we are going to keep global warming below the rise of two degree C, we have to leave 80% of the fossil energy in the ground. My friend John Fullerton said, on whose books sit those assets? He calculated that it's 20 to 30 trillion in assets about to be stranded. Last November, Carbon Tracker came out with a report that said it's 25 trillion and peak fossil will be 2023. So that's only four years from now. Do you hold Exxon in your portfolio? If so, don't be the last one out turning the lights out. So one thing about this is I know that um, you and Tony are presenting this as inevitable. There's a, a lot of financial and uh, governmental pressure that seems to be keeping, trying to keep these uh, systems and these industries afloat. Is there? Sure. And in the two years, first two years of uh, the Trump administration, we closed more coal plants than in the eight years of the Obama administration. The Kentucky Coal Museum put solar on its roof rather than hooking up to the coal-fired grid at its doorstep because solar was cheaper. Now, I'm not saying this is inevitable. Tony is saying this is inevitable. I look at the, as you say, the enormous power, money, political muscle of the incumbent industries and say 10 years? Can this be possible? On Tony's math, it takes a doubling of solar power every couple of years. 
And the first, the early doublings are easy. And indeed, solar has been doubling every couple of years. It's now looking like it's going to double every three years. So maybe that pushes it out to 2035 or even 2040. The good news is we still beat the UN's sort of drop-dead date of 2050, by which the world has to be net zero. And if you add in regenerative agriculture, then we start sucking carbon out of the air, putting it back in the soil, and we can start rolling climate change backwards profitably. I think that's fabulous. The real uh, warning for investors is you better start decarbonizing your portfolio. So at Change Finance, we built the first ETF that is truly fossil fuel free. Yeah, I think this is really great news for our fossil fuel free portfolios. We have a lot of clients who are really clamoring for that. We've been doing that for five years now, Johan? Uh, about that. Yeah. yeah, it's the it's the most um, f- frequent request that we get from our clients. Yeah. yeah. Well, check out change-finance.com. Yeah, we had some had several conversations with mm-hmm. with those folks, which is very exciting. So, yeah, I want to shift the focus a little bit and and do a little bit of a, a deep dive and talk about your amazing uh, newer book, A Finer Future: Creating an Economy in Service to Life. And I know Johan, um, who's who's really gone through that with a fine tooth comb and. I, I haven't read the entire book myself, but um, I've read read parts of it, and he's got some really great uh, questions. He's he's our resident philosopher, so he's he's got some questions. I think he's he's probably going to ask you one or two here. Well, and I think that some of the ideas that I wanted to touch on, we've already kind of yeah, started to hear. Yeah, here, we did so. hear. Yeah, so it's great. I think the place that I wanted to, st- since you've already kind of laid out a handful of the of the key things that I wanted to touch on, uh, I wanted to come down to say, you know, just bottom line, what are the three or four biggest changes that we can make right now to give us the best shot at changing the direction of the economy and saving the world? You, you mentioned autonomous electric vehicles. Uh, you also mentioned uh, regenerative agriculture. I, I found the, the section about of the book about uh, regenerative ranching to be really interesting. I'd love to hear you say a little bit more about that. But can, what are sort of the, the three or four biggest changes we can make today? The biggest change is to shift the story away from our current mental model of neoliberalism that markets are perfect. We're all greedy bastards, but that's okay because in a perfect market, you against me will somehow aggregate to the greater good for all. Therefore, we don't need government. The market will solve it all. That's simply not true. And so today we sit at the edge of a a cliff Humanity is itself at risk. The UN report just out showed that a million species are now threatened with extinction. We're losing every major ecosystem on the planet. We have levels of inequality as high as just before the Great Depression in in 29. And studies from Thomas Piketty, Capital in the 21st Century, the Handy Study, Human and Nature Dynamic Study, funded by NASA a few years back, 
show that high levels of inequality are causative of collapse. The Handy study said collapse is fairly common throughout human history. When it happens, it lasts for hundreds to thousands of years. You really don't like it. It's driven by one or both of two things. You overrun your resource base or you have high levels of inequality. Hello, we have both. So the Oxfam number of years so back was that eight men have as much wealth as the bottom half of humanity. And that's just not acceptable. And it's driven by this neoliberal narrative, which is just a story. It's a mental model that's stuck in our heads because 36 men in 1947 got together in a hotel outside Montreux, Switzerland, and argued for 10 days about the intellectual foundations of this concept. Ludwig von Mises was appalled at what National Socialism had done to trash Europe. Frederick Hayek was scared to death of the rise in the East of Soviet collectivism. Milton Friedman believed that the individual was the only legitimate economic actor. They and 33 of their buddies formed what they called the Montpelerin Society, named after the hotel where they met. They then adopted a young writer named Ayn Rand, who wrote a book called Atlas Shrugged, and told the literally the story, the narrative, the fiction of this lone man fighting against the system. Right. That book remains incredibly powerful. Paul Ryan, who's senator for a while, said it was the book that most influenced him. Alan Greenspan said it was the most important book ever written. If you believe that Trump reads, he said it's the most important book he's ever read. And this narrative continues till today. It was a wonkish ideology until 1970 when Lewis Powell, who went on to become Supreme Court Justice, was asked by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce to write a memo of how could business re-legitimize itself after the 60s. 60s, sex, drugs, rock and roll. (laughs) Business was feeling somewhat left out. Powell said business must learn that it has to seize and use power assiduously and it must be well-funded to do this. He laid out 26 targets, and it is chilling. You can go on the web, download the Powell Memorandum, and read how it is that the world in which we live today came to be created. The targets included everything from high schools and colleges of business to lower court judges, school districts, They did it. On the strength of that memo, five entities, I think it was Olin, Coors, Scaife, Mellon, Bradley, the Koch brothers, each put something like $5 million into creating and endowing Heritage Foundation. Right. Judicial Crisis Network, which gave us uh, Judge Kavanaugh, Alec. Uh, American Enterprise, Cato, Hudson, Hoover, Heartland. So fast forward to 2016, Trump walks into the Oval Office, deer in the headlights, because he did not expect to win. And he is handed a playbook written by Heritage Foundation. Here's your first hundred days. Right. What's our story? What do we believe in? 
Well, that- the neolibs can say it in three sentences. Markets are perfect. We're all evil bastards. We don't need any government. End of story. That's What's the- our story. Yeah. So job one, we need a new narrative. And in the book, we tried to set forth a narrative of shared prosperity on a healthy planet. Ours is not as tight as theirs, but I think it's not a bad start. Change the narrative of the politics is what you're saying. Change the narrative of our culture, of our view of who we are. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the book, we run through the science of folk like Dr. Paul Lawrence at Harvard, Dr. Michael Pearson at Fordham, who show that if you look at the paleoanthropology, the archaeology, the genetics, early humans, when they first came down out of the trees in Africa, these are even pre-humans, were not greedy bastards. Those who survived were those who cared. And we know this from the DNA and from the archaeology. They have found skeletal remains of the small band of pre-humans who did not go extinct. And they cared for the elderly and they cared for the disabled. If you're only in it for yourself, an old man is a liability. A crippled woman is a liability. You get rid of them. They didn't. So when we care, when we feel caring towards people we don't even know, this isn't a flaw, as the neolibs says it is. This is who we are as human beings. Right. So we need more empathy towards our fellow human beings, is what you're saying. Well, we have that empathy. We need, I think, to acknowledge it as core to what it means to be human. Yeah, I can agree with that. So so I guess this book uh, is trying to, in some respects, take the place of the Mount Pelerin documents and the Powell Memorandum. Do you have a, a particular source? You know, so it sounds like we need somebody to counter the Randian uh, mythos, right? We need to, are there any particular novelists, um, fabulists out there that we can, th- that we should be looking at, looking to, reading to find some of that um, more caring, regenerative social story? Well, Avatar was a. was a step in that direction and remains the highest grossing film, I think, ever. The book closes with a quotation from Alex Steffen, who kindly lent it to me, of a talk given to a conservation group a hundred years from now, in which he describes how we almost didn't make it, Mm -hmm. but we did. We came together, we took the action that we know can be taken. We have all of the technologies we need to solve all of the gnarly problems facing us. And in essentially every instance, it is more cost-effective, it's more profitable to behave more regeneratively. Right. Well, so, and and that raises one of the other questions that I wanted to ask you about. Um, We have the tools that we need to create this finer future already in our hands, right? What do you think is keeping us from using these tools right now? And how can we, well, how can we get around that? How can we start to use those tools? 
the second two critical things we have to do are one, make Tony Seba right, <laughs> shift to renewable energy as fast as we can. And again, the good news is that it is profitable to do this. The third thing that we need to do is implement regenerative agriculture. This is the way that we will roll climate change backward and do so profitably. And again, this is more cost effective. It's what will keep farmers in business. The UN has shown that business as usual, we have maybe 60 more harvests and then we're out of soil. In a brilliant new book called Dirt to Soil, written by the farmer, Gabe Brown. He describes his family's journey from industrial agriculture, where he was going broke, to regenerative agriculture, where he's now wildly profitable, first going to no-till. So he stopped breaking the prairie soil and inverting it, thereby decarbonizing it, denitrifying it, to planting deep-rooted cover crops, which cool the soil, the roots go very deep, break up the soil. They draw nutrients out of the air, put it into the soil. And then animal impact, grazing animals who eat the cover crops, thereby reducing Gabe's cost for feeding them, and fertilize the soil, trample the biomass into the soil, and with this whole system, what you're really farming is not any particular product. You're farming soil. Right. You're farming the mycorrhizal fungi, all of the biological life that is in healthy soil. You're increasing the pore space in the soil so that it can soak up moisture. So when it gets dry, you can still keep on farming profitably. Gabe does this with no fertilizer, pesticides, herbicides. So again, he's dropping his costs. He then produces a wide variety of products. So if one of them fails, he has the others. Gabe is one of a growing number of regenerative farmers, ranchers, who are showing that they can stay on their land, be profitable, and profitably roll climate change backward. So you have Joel Salatin in Swope, Virginia with Polyface Farms. You've got Will Harris down in Bluffton, Georgia. You've got uh, folk like Wes Jackson at the Land Institute in Salina, Kansas. He's growing perennial wheat and has now partnered with Patagonia to make long root oil. The perennial wheat comes up every year. You don't have to break the soil and replant it. It's a product called Kernza. And Patagonia is now making beer out of it. Excellent. Wow. So just w- uh, one more question, I think. You know, um, the, uh, toward the end of the book, um, you asked a really important framing question. What is the purpose of the economy? And you follow that up with some very philosophical questions, which appealed to me, like what is the purpose of human life? Uh, I'm not sure I understood the answers that you offered in the book or that were offered in the book. Um, can you get into that briefly here? And, and have you gotten much in the way of feedback from philosophers on these questions? You know, it's 2,500 years now we've been working on some of these kinds of issues. 
<laughs> Ours was less a, an effort to engage the philosophers and more a pragmatic question for the, the masters of economics of why do we run the economy declaring success when gross national product, gross domestic product goes up, when if a divorcing cancer patient gets in a car wreck, she's added mightily to the GDP. She's uh, paying a lawyer, she's uh, paying a doctor, now she's paying an auto mechanic to fix her car. Is she any better off? Clearly not. Whereas a young man who stays home to take care of his aging mother adds nothing to the GDP, but he's adding to the, the strength, the vitality of his community and the, the joy of his family. We're measuring the wrong thing. And we ought to be measuring well-being, which we know how to do. Various governments are now coming together, an organization called WeGo, which is created by a little group that a number of us created three, four years ago, called WeAll, Wellbeing Economy Alliance. The WeGo governments are saying, we're going to stop measuring GDP as a sign that we're getting any better off. It's a useful metric. It measures the flow through the economy of money and stuff but it tells us nothing about whether our people are better off. Excellent. That's a very good point because if people are not better off, then the economy ultimately is not better off. And as I said earlier, the, the Handy study, the, the Piketty study have shown that we are on the verge of societal collapse. Dr. Peter Turchin at University of Connecticut says, we're going to have social collapse within 10 years. Don't do this because it'll put you in a very bad mood, but you can Google near-term human extinction and find what purports to be science saying that humans go extinct within 10 years. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I'm a little sentimental about this human experiment. <laughs> and again, we know how to solve all these problems, so let's go. Exactly. What can you do? You can look at where your money is residing. Is your money in service to life? Or is it being held by companies that are part of the problem, that are part of what's destroying life on the earth? And move it. Yep. That's right. That is an excellent point. And I so appreciate you making that point right there because that's what we do. And I, I think that's what change finance does. And, and I think that's, that's what we should all be doing. Hunter, I really appreciate you taking some time out again from your, from your very, very busy schedule and talking with us. And I want to encourage people to read your most recent book, A Finer Future, um, read your other books that you've had out. Um, they're all very fascinating. They've all got interesting components for, for people to just learn a little bit more about sustainability. And I personally am very fascinated about regenerative um, agriculture, and I would like to do a little more reading about that particular issue because I think it's important. And I hope you get to spend some more time riding your horses so in the near future. Thank you. <laughs> so thank you again for being with us. Um, is there anything else you want to share at the very end? Everyone should have a dot. 
do one thing. Oh, great. What is it that you personally can do today to make a difference? And it doesn't have to be a big thing. Two of my dots are don't drink bottled water and don't take plastic straws. And I fail at that. A you know, drink arrives, it's got a straw. And it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot to say, don't put the straw in. And you just remind yourself, next time, do a little better. But pick what it is that you really care about and do one thing. Perfect. That's perfect. We're going to remind people of that. Have a dot. Do one thing. Thank you. You're so welcome. Hunter, Kim, Johan, this was fantastic. I loved it. I am going to find my dots. I want multiple dots like you, Hunter. Um, starting with those two, I, I, th- I, my daughter actually just really got after me about plastic straws. I don't use them a lot, but we went to uh, one of the convenience stores here and I'd never seen it, but they actually have a paper straw option. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of fun to, uh, to, to find that. And it was, it was kind of fun to have that instead of the plastic. So that's definitely one of my dots from now on. So I appreciate your time. Uh, what great information, Kim and Johan. Thank you so much for bringing Hunter in as a guest. Thank you guys. Thank you. Yes. It's been great. And thank you all for listening to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Griego Kyle and Johan Clausen. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Kim and Johan come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, we'd like you to take a moment to thank our sponsors. And I'll let Kim take over from here. Yes. Again, I want to thank our sponsors. We have three sponsors for this podcast. The first is Calvert. Calvert Research and Management is a global leader in responsible investing. Calvert sponsors one of the largest and most diversified families of responsible invested mutual funds, encompassing active and passively managed equity, income, alternative, and multi-asset strategies. With roots in responsible investing back to 1982, the firm seeks to generate favorable investment returns for clients by allocating capital consistent with environmental, social, governance, best practices, and through structured engagement with portfolio companies. Our second sponsor is PAX World Funds. PAX are advised by Impacts Asset Management LLC, formerly PAX World Management LLC, a pioneer in the field of sustainable investing. PAX offers a diversified lineup of mutual funds focused on the global risks and opportunities arising from the transition to a more sustainable global economy. Each fund integrates environmental, social, and governance research into the investment process to better manage risk and deliver competitive long-term investment performance. Since 1971, PAX has made it possible for investors to pursue financial returns while having a positive social and environmental impact. And our third sponsor, Trillium Asset Management, is proud to be the oldest investment advisor devoted exclusively to sustainable investing since 1982. Trillium's focus is to seek to provide competitive financial returns while also helping clients leverage the power of their assets to create positive social and environmental changes. Thanks to our sponsors. Yes, definitely. Thank you to those sponsors. Uh, Please go visit those websites. Take a look at those companies that she just mentioned. Um, They are doing wonderful things. And thank you again for listening today. For everyone at Horizons Sustainable Financial Services, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Deep Impact Investing Podcast, the sustainable, responsible impact investing podcast that shows you how to get your voice heard. It's time to start investing like you give a damn.
To ask a question that we can answer on an upcoming podcast, email us at info at horizonssfs.com or join the conversation on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash horizons sustainable financial services or give us a call at 505-982-9661. Don't forget to click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available. The companies we may speak about during our podcast are not recommendations for investment only. You and your financial advisor can determine what the right investments are for you and your situation. Horizon Sustainable Financial Services is a registered investment advisor, registered with the state of New Mexico and other jurisdictions were registered or exempted. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and or guest and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.